0: KPBS On Demand is supported by Arizona Raft Adventures, a third-generation family-owned outfitter providing experiential multi-day Colorado River rafting adventures through the Grand Canyon. Hiking, exploration, education, and fun. Only a seven-hour drive from San Diego. Learn more at azraft.com. Good
1: morning, I'm Annika Colbert. It's Friday, August 20th. Local advocates push for the Green New Deal. More on that next, but first, let's do the headlines. San Diego County public health officials on Thursday reported 1,400 new COVID-19 cases, five additional deaths, and 104 new hospitalizations. It makes for discouraging news as the Delta variant continues to surge. The newly hospitalized patients bumped the county's total up to more than 700. One month ago, that number was 179. There's also 143 people in ICU beds, which is an increase of nearly 100 patients since July 19th. The city of San Diego says its efforts to get rental and utility assistance to people has picked up steam. Mayor Todd Gloria says nearly $80 million has been distributed to more than 9,700 households. To apply for the rental and utility assistance program, go to the San Diego Housing Commission's website, sdhc.org on thursday sponsors announced that san diego will host its first men's atp tennis tournament at point loma's barnes tennis center the tour is organized by the association of tennis professionals and it's the elite circuit for men's professional tennis fred Sidhu is the spokesperson for what they're calling the san diego open
2: i think as far as men's tennis this is going to be the biggest moment in the history of san diego because They've hosted previous tournaments in the past, but they've never hosted an ATP tour. These are the top players in the world.
1: The San Diego Open takes place September 27th through October 3rd. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. San Diego climate advocates rallied on Thursday to support federal legislation that will boost efforts to combat climate change. KPBS environment reporter Eric Anderson has more.
3: Local climate advocates joined their counterparts around the country to call out for lawmakers in Washington to support the president's budget plan. The blueprint contains more than $3.5 trillion worth of spending on the president's agenda. City Council member Sean Ella Rivera says it would fund projects that bring fundamental change to underserved neighborhoods. He says they should fund electric car infrastructure, lead pipe removal, and expansion of public transportation, among other things. It should include these things not because they'd be nice to have, but because who's bearing the brunt of climate change is our most vulnerable neighbors, which includes many people in City Heights where we are today and throughout District 9 and all of San Diego. The climate advocates say it is past time to take action. They argue the latest UN climate report only gives the world nine years to stave off the worst possible outcomes of a warming planet.
4: We are in a climate emergency and we will not have a livable future without bold climate action. Working class black and brown communities are the ones hit first and worst by the crises.
3: Advocates are hoping that their call for action will end the political circus in Washington and convince lawmakers to support the infrastructure deal and Biden's new budget.
1: And that reporting from KPBS environment reporter Eric Anderson. Southern California's biggest water supplier is calling on people to limit their water use amid a prolonged drought. KPBS's Alexandra Ronhell has more on what this means for San Diego. Drought conditions are worsening in the western
5: U.S. The U.S. Drought Monitor says more than 95 percent of the region is in a drought. Continued droughts are forcing the Metropolitan Water District of Southern California to ask water agencies to voluntarily conserve water. Jeff Stephenson is the Water Resource Manager for the San Diego County Water Authority. He says the county is decades ahead in conservation practices.
0: Here in San Diego, we have a great history of water use efficiency. Uh, We've cut water use per person in half over the last 30 years.
5: The supply alert comes a day after the first ever water shortage was reported on the Colorado River. Although that shortage mostly affects Nevada and Arizona, San Diego does receive 60% of transfer water from the Colorado River, which may seem like a lot, but.
0: And what makes us in a better position than other parts of the state, especially Northern California? Is 30 years ago when we started diversifying our water supplies.
5: Over the years, Stephenson says San Diego went from having only two water supplies to a multitude of sources that include reservoirs, recycled water, and groundwater. He says we'll be facing a real problem if voluntary reductions become state mandates for everyone across the board.
0: Too soon to tell, really, if that's going to happen. But if the state were to do that, uh, we'd like them to offer the stress test again so that we can show uh, this model that we created that the rest of the state could emulate, that we've diversified our supplies, we are prepared for drought.
5: Stephenson says we'll have to wait and see if we'll be hit with the reduction mandate in the months to come. But for now, he encourages San Diegans to continue using water efficiently. And
1: that reporting from KPBS's Alexandra Ronhell. The recently released 2020 census data shows Latinos making up the second largest ethnic racial group in San Diego County after white people. But KPBS's race and equity reporter Christina Kim says for many people, the census categories don't really work for them.
6: Chula Vesta resident Carolina Juarez immigrated from Mexico 18 years ago. To this day, every time she fills out the census, it's confusing. It asks her to say if she's Hispanic or Latino and then select her race.
5: I don't identify as um, African-American or Asian or white. So I feel like I'm left out without a box to mark. So yeah, so I couldn't find an option that fit it right in, so I just filled in some other race.
6: The 2020 census shows that many people are like Juarez. Nearly half of all Latinos in San Diego County identify as some other race, a more than 20% increase in the last decade. The growing number of people who mark some other race shows the limits of the census, says Edward Tellez, a sociology professor at UC Irvine.
7: Why should there be a some other race category? Why isn't there a Latino category?
6: Since 1980, the census has always had a two-format question. It asks if you're Hispanic, Latino, or Spanish, and then your race. That's because it designates Hispanic or Latino as an ethnicity instead of a race. But Tellez says the differences aren't so clear.
7: The traditional way was that race were these people that differed by physical features, and ethnicity were people with cultural differences. Well, we know that there's really a lot of overlap between those.
6: What we do know from the recent census is that Latinos in San Diego increasingly see themselves as multiracial. The number who marked two or more races rose by more than five times since 2010. Mario Torres is a mariachi musician who lives in Chula Vista. Five years ago, he learned more about his multiracial roots through genetic tests and the history of mariachi.
0: You know, learning that I'm, I have Zapoteco, Purépecha from Michoacán, Oaxaca, you know, and, and these indigenous tribes and, and, and learning more about my own personal history.
6: He marked down several races on the census and wrote in that he's native Mexican American mestizo. His mariachi group, Mariachi Torres, which includes his wife and two kids, sing and play songs in Zapotec and Purépecha a nod to their
5: roots.
6: I want
0: to acknowledge also the indigenous part. I want to acknowledge the other parts too.
6: Why is that important?
0: Because it's me. If I don't know my history, if I don't know my roots, then I don't have an identity.
6: People like the Torreses are recognizing their complex racial and cultural identities, both on the census And for the Torres family, through their music. And that
1: reporting from KPBS Race and Equity reporter, Christina Kim. Coming up, the annual Vista Viking Festival will be virtual again this year. Plus, the studio door celebrates its 7th anniversary by showcasing San Diego drag icons. We'll have that next, just after the break. Imagine a beautiful summer day and the annual Vista Viking Festival, the clinking sounds of a blacksmith's forge, the thunk of thrown axes striking wooden targets, people walking around a foresty area in leather armor and furs bearing colorful round shields, there's shops lined with handcrafted leather emblazoned with Celtic knots and Norse runes, there's drinking horns hanging from shop to shop, and of course, the music. I fondly remember the Viking Fest of 2019 at Vista's Norway Hall. At the time, I had no idea it would be the last in-person Viking Fest for at least a couple years. The pandemic forced the Vista Viking Fest and all of its various Viking cultural groups that come together to make it happen to pivot and take their world online. And while you may see other live events reopening this year, the Viking Fest will be online again for 2021. And joining me is James Nelson Lucas, the director of PR and media for Vista Viking Festival. James, welcome to the podcast.
7: Why hello. Thank you for having me.
1: For newbies, how would you describe the Vista Viking Fest?
7: Well, if you've ever heard of a Renaissance fair, it's like a Renaissance fair only 500 years earlier in history. Um, So uh, we have our Viking encampments where we're living history. Viking groups have their own uh, camps. They all have their own specialties. One group runs our weapons range where you can come and shoot arrows and uh, throw axes. Another one runs our blacksmith shop. So there's lots of shopping, there's food, there's music and entertainment, and lots and lots of Vikings.
1: So what would you say the atmosphere is like at an in-person festival?
7: Oh, jovial and convivial, I would say. we The festival is actually an outgrowth of our own internal festivals. So you really get that feeling that there is a family there. It's like uh, being invited into our home, really, the Viking Festival, getting to see what we do all year round once a year.
1: So I know Viking Festival was virtual last year as well. How did that translate to going online? What was all involved?
7: Well, I had to uh, get all of the entertainment uh, lined up. Some of them were able to do live shows. Some of them pre-taped some things especially for us. Uh, I had to deal with the merchants, those of, those of whom uh, sell online, make sure that they were advertised. I uh, got all of my different uh, Viking groups to do uh, different videos of how they set up their camp and what their specialty is. And uh, we invited people to come and watch all of that online. We had a a fairly good, uh, a fairly good turnout on the online festival and uh, many people enjoyed. We got to have entertainment, uh, especially that we don't get to have every year. Some of the bands only come one every other year or something like that. So I was able to choose from all of our our uh, uh, vendors and entertainers we've had over the years.
1: And uh, I, I imagine the biggest question right now that fans have is, um, wh- why is the festival online again this year?
7: Well, as as everybody knows, the things with COVID have been in such flux. Um, it, we weren't able to guarantee that we could pull off the festival that we know we are capable of under those restrictions. We usually have about 10,000 people come through there on a weekend We didn't think we had the ability to make sure that everybody was going to be safe. So we've been having smaller events with smaller crowds where we can control uh, the safety issues better. And frankly, we weren't able to get all of the permits we would have needed anyway. Uh, Cities and, and counties weren't issuing the permits we needed at the time.
1: There's are several groups that come together to make Viking Fest happen. There's the Sons of Norway, Daughters of Norway, Norway Hall Foundation, just to name some of them. Can you talk to us a bit about who these groups are and what they do?
7: All right. Uh, well, you also we also have the Norwegian Fish Club Odin. So the first off is the Sons of Norway Norgalodge. They are the very beginning of all of this. They got that land in Vista in early fifties, and our hall was built in fifty five. And it's been uh, the home of the Sons of Norway ever since, the Sons of Norway Norga Lodge. There was also another group there, the Fish Club. It's it's all around the country in Scandinavian lodges and Norwegian lodges, men get together for a fish club. And historically, it's been a bunch of guys in suits with the cigars and the scotch and all of that. Uh, But when the current Odin, who leads our Norwegian Fish Club, Took over. He decided to make it into an all-gender sort of situation, and every it was going to be Viking-themed. So each of us in the group have to assume a Viking name uh, and, and wear our Viking outfits when we go to our gatherings. The Norway Hall Foundation is now owning the property. So all these gatherings, we had the Norwegian Fish Club with all their Viking people and the Sons of Norway with all of their... Sons of Norway people and the Daughters of Norway, we would have we have regular celebrations: spring celebration, fall celebration, etc. And over the years, as more and more Vikings showed up and more people joined the Lodge, our fall festival got so big, we needed to start selling tickets. So that's how the Viking festival was born. The Daughters of Norway was one of the founding members. They're not based at the hall, but they're close associates and use the hall a lot. And so the Daughters of Norway are based out of Rainbow. So those four groups basically form form the core of the Viking festival. And then we have numerous Viking reenactment groups, some of which are based out of the hall. There's a group called Drafin, the Celtic Norse, the Red Hand, Guardians of Midgard, Wolves of Odin. And when the festival is going on, each of them, they all gather at the same time and, and camp out and set up their tents. Uh, usually, there's one or two groups at a time hanging out there. But for the Viking festival, all the groups come.
1: So I'm kind of imagining there's just this Viking-like community in in the North County. W- why is it important for these for everyone to come together in this group and celebrate the Vikings?
7: Well, it's based a lot on just good fellowship and the love of fighting with swords and shooting arrows and stuff like that. But the main thing is good fellowship and uh, also the viking people are very concerned with uh, caretaking of the environment and their family and their friends uh it's not all you know bloodthirsty killing and stuff we really want to show at the festival what the life of the norse people during the viking age was like and most of it was not battling and fighting most of it was being merchants and being farmers and uh, you know, being businessmen and manufacturers. So we get to see all of that at the Viking Festival. Sure, we have the fighting too, but we want to see what life was really like when people were living closer to the land and more in tune with, uh, with nature at the time.
1: James, how can people participate in this year's online festival?
7: the main outlet will be on facebook we've got it set up to run on facebook where we'll be doing some live programming and some pre-recorded programming we're going to be putting that up on our youtube page shortly after it goes out live on facebook and just check us out on vista vikingfestival.com and i will be putting up the uh, list of events times and uh, how to watch on our on our website
1: All right. And I've been speaking with James Nelson Lucas, the director of PR and media for the Vista Viking Festival. James, thank you so much.
7: Thank you for having me.
1: The Vista Viking Fest will be online September 25th and 26th on their Facebook page and YouTube channel. Information and a full list of events happening between now and then and even after for Val Halloween in October is on the festival's website. The Studio Door is a Hillcrest art gallery, and it's celebrating its seventh anniversary in style with an exhibit of San Diego drag icons. This Saturday, there will be a reception, fundraiser, and food drive at the gallery with artists and drag queens in attendance. KPBS arts reporter Beth Accomando says the event highlights the connection between drag and activism.
8: Drag is a combination of art and activism. You can't pull off drag without an insane level of artistry and creativity.
2: Yeah, drag, I've always said, is the mother of invention, right?
8: Tootie is one of the San Diego drag icons highlighted at the studio door this month.
2: We're always looking for different kind of mediums as well as materials to make things with. I once made a headpiece, a crown, out of hubcaps.
8: Paris is another icon, and her drag performances are famous for inspired costumes.
4: When I started doing drag, I kind of realized I can get away with anything. So I have like my carousel dress that has the horses, you know, roaming around it and it lights up. But doing drag, even in ridiculously cute outfits, is still
8: at its core a provocative act because it's pushing boundaries and challenging society's norms. Maybe that's why since the 1970s, drag queens have been involved in activism for LGBTQ rights, AIDS awareness, and gender equality.
4: That's like one of the the proudest parts about being a drag queen is that we are those ones that, you know, when something goes down in the community, you want to be the kind of bright light part of it first off, but then you also want to be the part that is involved in helping. And that's historically been that way.
2: The drag is just an, an added tool to get more uh, attention. Again, 2D. That's why the community looks to us when there is a cause or something, because we will bring people out. We're visually uh, stimulating.
8: Indeed they are, and the studio door exhibit proves it, with not just spectacular costumes on display, but also visual art from painters like Margaret Chiaro, whose series of drag queen portraits in the colors of the rainbow line one wall at the gallery. This is not my personal narrative, but one I greatly admire, and I love seeing people that are so comfortable in the spotlight. and are obviously artists that can carry that all around the world, where I hide behind my paintings. (laughs) Patrick Stillman, the studio door's owner, says activism and drag queens go hand in hand, which is why Nicole the Great, another San Diego drag icon, worked with Stillman to create this Saturday's event as more than just a reception for the exhibit. But the heart of that
0: is to raise funds for two great food charities, the Emergency Food Voucher Program and Take What You Need Tuesdays. Nicole is a part of the Imperial Court de San Diego, which is drag queens who have activism helping communities out.
8: Tootie recalls protesting at a Hillcrest 76 station years ago when the owner was mistreating a gay employee.
2: So we shut it down for three days, Act Up and myself, and I paraded around that corner for three days nonstop with a beehive and a big 76 ball on the top of my beehive. So activism has always been a very big part of what I do. I don't mind being out there, um, whether it's in drag or not.
8: And humor always helps.
2: You know, it breaks down barriers. I think the shine kind of catches them, you know, and the color kind of catches them off guard. And then the, the humor breaks down all the barriers in between.
8: Those barriers are coming down thanks to things like RuPaul's Drag Race streaming into people's homes for more than a decade. But Paris says drag is still about challenging stereotypes, even within the LGBTQ community. Paris likes to embrace both extremes of drag, from flamboyant artifice to just dressing daily in stylish feminine outfits.
4: I'm Filipina. For the Filipino community, I am way too much drag because they want a lot more of the natural woman And then for the more American community, I'm way too feminine, not so much like on the high drag. But then I am extremely flexible, so I don't know what any of y'all are talking about. Like, I can go either way. Um, My aesthetic is, again, fun. But it's fun fueled
8: by an underlying sense of resistance to conforming to anyone's norms and the creativity to create magic out of anything. And that's what the Studio Door is celebrating on its 7th anniversary. Beth Accomando, KPBS News. The
1: Studio Door Reception and Charity event is this Saturday, but the exhibit runs through August 28th. And that's it for the podcast today. Tomorrow, we'll have a special bonus episode of the podcast featuring KPBS's summer music series. In the meantime, be sure to catch KPBS Midday Edition at noon on KPBS Radio, or check out the Midday Edition podcast. You can also watch KPBS Evening Edition at 5 o'clock on KPBS Television. And as always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. I'm Annika Colbert. Thanks for listening and have a wonderful weekend.
0: KPBS on Demand is supported by.